Well, good morning. Good to see everyone. I got a bunch of good news for you. Uh, great things to talk about. First of all, um, our move went better than even expected. Now, we all knew that you were generous and that you would jump into things, but we had no idea how many people would sign up for the move. Everything got done early, so much so that even the later teams, we didn't even have anything for you to do. All right. Now, I don't know if you've ever moved and had people help you. Did you ever have way too much help? No, because the Lord was not in your move. Right? No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, the idea is that God really just allowed us to come together as a family. Everything is neatly cleaned up and tidied up and everything looks beautiful at our last facility. We made sure to leave it better than we found it. And that's how we are always supposed to act as Christians. And so we have wrapped up that season of our lives. We are heading forward. And so our move out went awesome. What about our move in? Woo! Yeah, we have no idea. Woo! Okay, here's the deal. We have had the fire panel issue we've been talking to you about. We have tried four different things, all where they said, this will work, and it did not. So we have failed that four separate times. So we have a new plan that will work, allegedly. And that, is, and in case you're all wondering, it came to me last night. Some of you may go, I hope Lance isn't trying to figure it out. Right? No, 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 no. We actually have a fire company that is trying to figure that out, all right? Um, they have a new plan uh, that they believe will work. They're going to try to implement that on Monday and Tuesday. What this means is we are very open as to whether or not we can get inside the building. But our faith is so strong that we have handed out a map to our brand new place and said, we're going there anyway. So, yay, God. Now, we don't know if God's going to allow us to sit in the parking lot or if we're going to be actually in the building, but here's what I need you to do. I need you to be very alert to social media this week. Uh, we are going to be posting out on the city what the updates are, especially Friday, um, posting on our Facebook page if you do any of that. Um, if you are not uh, kind of technologically savvy, the first thing you need to do is find a small person. And then say, hey, can you go check what my church is doing and tell me? That would be great. If that doesn't work, uh, uh, we have a default on email. You can email Brian Kylie On the back of our map page, it actually has his address, his email address on the bottom of that. It's bkiley at bridgewaychristian.org. So would you please just check in with him? We don't want him inundated, so only do that if you don't have access to social media. But... Uh, Somehow, some way, make sure you're connected in with someone that knows so we can let you know at the last moment whether we're going to be in the building or in the parking lot. We all have a big come to Jesus meeting with the whole building team on Monday. So we're going to find out a little bit more. Um, the last thing that I wanted to say before we dive into the word is that last time we were together, we talked about the invest campaign and where we were short. Uh, you all gave very generously and kind. They're still tallying that amount, so I don't have that for you, but I should have that for you next time we get together. I just wanted to remind you, not only did you give sacrificially and generously, but did you know that my buddy Banning over at uh, Jesus Culture, do you know that their board 
authorized to sew into Bridgeway $7,000 for our move. How incredible is that? I did not ask them to do that. That was something that they said, you know what? We believe that what God is doing here is significant and we would love to bless you. And uh, anyway, just so you know, God is even motivating the whole region. As you know, The Rock has supported us heavily in this process early on. And so we just have a lot of friends out there that are really interested in making sure that we're blessed and cared for. So thank you as well for just investing in all of this. May God take all that you have given and not only multiply it for his kingdom, but may he then fill your coffers back up so you can give somewhere else, right? To where you can love on some other people. So thank you very much. Um, before we shift into the word, I just, as we were praying this morning as a team in the back, I just really felt led that I wanted to pray over you. So if you would just give me a moment, I would like to pray. And if you could just agree with the stuff that you actually agree with, uh, I'm sure that periodically I'll pray about something and you're going to go, ah, I don't know about that. All right. Uh, I totally get that. You're allowed to abstain. But if you do agree with what I'm praying, by all means, just in your heart or out loud, whatever you want, Lord, yes. Yes, Lord, more of that, right? That's what we want. So let me, let me just begin to pray. And I want to just kind of pray over our sections as we go. So I'm just going to begin on your extreme left, uh, my extreme right. So let's just begin to pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know why. I don't know where it came from other than I want to be very sensitive to what you're saying. And so, Holy Spirit, it seems like you want extra prayer over your kids. You brought them in and you wanted them to be showered with your love and showered with your blessings. So I just pray right now, Father, over this whole section that God, if there are any that are lonely or hurting, Lord, if there are any who are wounded in their marriages, I just pray right now a soothing. I pray, Father, that you would comfort them. I pray that you would hold them close. And above all, Father, would you give us clear communication and allow us to be on the same page. Lord, this world is very hard to navigate. And if we're at odds with one another, then, Lord, we can't seem to go forward. So, Father, I just pray over our marriages, covering over our children. Lord, that they, they are our most treasured possession outside of our faith and our walk with you. And we just pray that you would give them coverage and watch our children when we're not there and when we are there. Father, for this center place, this centerpiece right here in front of me, I just pray a blessing, Lord, that you would encourage them and strengthen them. That, Father, I pray against despair in Jesus' name. And I pray a rising up of hope and a rising up of faith and an ability to be immovable. That, Lord, when the enemy would try to come in with discouragement, that they would be able to stand fast and be able to say, not today. I am not going to be moved off this place. That I know my God and I know that he is good and I know know that he is for me and Satan you cannot lie to me you cannot tell me otherwise I refuse to stand anywhere else but right here upon the word of God and so father I ask for an increase of faith and Lord over here to my left Lord God I just pray over this team Lord I just want to ask that you would begin to soothe the wounds of the past Lord, I just pray that you would clean up all the hurts and the things that keep us awake at night and all the things that begin to eat at us and we wonder whether or not they can ever be repaired. 
Father, I just pray that you are the one that goes back in time and redeems and restores and revives. And so I just pray, Lord, for all of us that have lost something in the past, Lord, that you would help us to regain only the parts that you want. Lord, we want it all back the way it was, and it's not good the way it was. So, Father, would you restore to us only the goodness, only the rightness of those things. All that is not of you, Father, we ask that it would just shy away, that it would fall away, that it would break away, Father, and just allow all of us to be mighty in your name. May you restore us, Father, in our hearts. God, cover all of us today, all those working behind the scenes. Lord, would your blessings fall upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Would you take out your Bibles and the handout sheet that was given to you at the front door? We're going to need all the time that we have in this passage. I'm going to be intensely practical this morning, and therefore there's going to be a lot of notes. I'm going to be giving you a lot of numbered lists, which I don't normally. I'm going to be walking into territory I don't normally. So by all means, be on alert. Uh, we are in part seven of our God Meets World series through the book of Ecclesiastes, and I entitled this morning's message, All Alone. I will simply say this to draw your attention to the fill in the blank. God said it is not good for man to be alone before sin entered humanity. Therefore, it is a rightful and purposeful design flaw. We simply cannot be alone. Additionally, whether it is through a marriage of a husband and wife coming together to represent God in all his masculine and feminine, whether or not it is our family structure talking about God and his fatherhood and we as his children, whether it is not his church body to talk about how all the parts come together, we must know this, we were designed to be together. Therefore, the fill in the blank is this, and it is wrong on your sheet. Would you write over that first word, two words, and it is this. To be whole is to be part. To be whole is to be part. W-H-O-L-E, to be whole is to be part. What do I mean? What we desire here at Bridgeway for every one of our family members is that we are whole. That Jesus Christ came not only to redeem us and save us, but that we might have life abundantly. That we might not just survive life, but we may thrive in the joy of Christ. That He wants us to be healed of our past, healed in our present, and walking in fullness moving forward. If that is the case, we want to be whole. How do we do that? The only way is to be a part of something greater than ourselves. We must be a part of the body of Christ. We must be a part of one another's lives. We must be a part of God's agenda. To be whole is to be part of all that God has for us. Amen? Would you turn with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 1? If you have a Bible, it's probably around page 555. As you know, there's no Bibles under the seat in front of you out here at Jessa. If not, you can just listen to my voice. We're going to dive through it very quickly. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 1. The author says, again, I saw all the oppressions, all the harming of the weak that are done under the sun in this godless world. And behold, this is profound, the tears of the oppressed, how terrible their situation is. 
And they had no one to comfort them. No one stood by them. However, on the side of their oppressors, there was power. The bad guys had all the control and all the leverage. And there was no one to comfort the little guys. And I thought the dead who are already dead more fortunate than the living who are still alive. But better than both is he who has not even yet been and has not yet seen the evil deeds that are done in this godless world. All right. That sounds pretty heavy, yeah? And it is pretty heavy. Here's what he's saying. Man, I looked out throughout the world and I saw so much pain and hurting and so many bad guys winning. I thought to myself, man, it's better off the people that are dead. You know what's even better than that? People that never even lived. Why? They don't have to see this garbage. They don't have to live through this garbage. Have you ever felt like that way? Let me ask you, is there oppression going on in this world? Well, yes, there is, rather significantly. Now, we can talk only about America, and we can talk about the sex trafficking issue, we can talk about the modern-day slavery issues, but when you get outside of America, it starts getting very blatant. You actually have brick factories where people live and die under slavery. You have people that whole towns are all sex slaves, the entire town. There's deep, horrible oppression and darkness. There are things that, and I'm pretty well seared in what I've seen in my conscience, and there's still stuff in the news that I read about that I can't wrap my head around, because if I do, I'm going to go into a really dark place. Usually it involves child harm. And as he looked at things like this, he began to say, this is so wrong. The bad guys seem to keep winning, and I can't even handle it anymore. And I wonder whether or not those that have never been born, maybe they don't have to deal with any of this. So it means that we have to have a very frank conversation as a church about oppression. And it's this. Some oppression is occurring in this world simply because the church has not stopped it. We can't do everything. And you may say, you know what, I've been trying to talk about this issue over and over and over and nobody's listening to me. I need to be very clear on how God seems to talk to folks. When he highlights an issue for you, that is an issue for you. You need to tackle that issue. Well, I can't do it by myself. That's why we need each other. That's why you grab your immediate sphere of influence and say, we need to do something about that. But understand, God is not giving that message for everyone. You're the point person. Because God is also laying something else that's terrible on their heart and something else on their heart and something else on their heart and something else on their heart. So everyone is not stiff-arming you. It's merely that God has displayed all the concerns throughout His people. But if you see something that wrecks your spirit and you feel like it keeps coming up over and over and over, I want you to take charge and do something. Because there's a lot of hurting people that don't need to hurt anymore. The family of God is massive. Even in this church alone, we have thousands of people. That when mobilized, we can do extraordinary things to shut down the bad guys. We are more than them. And there are areas that we need to engage. You say, well, I thought the church was supposed to be passive. I thought we were supposed to turn the other cheek. You are misreading. Turning the other cheek has to do with personal hurts against you. 
Turning the other cheek has to do with forgiving an offense. It does not mean that you do not shield the widows and orphans. It does not. As a matter of fact, the Bible is on the other side of that. It talks about defense and protection. So yes, there are places and times when we must step in and stop the bullying. So, we must do that. So let me ask you this. What's happening on our watch that shouldn't happen? What's going on? Because if God is asking us to do it, He's not going to ask us to do everything. There are great things we should never do. Other people need to do it. But if God asks us to do something and we do not do that, we will be held accountable for that. If God gave us resources to fund an issue, if God has given us influence and power to stop something, if God has given us wisdom by which to know a solution and we bury those talents in the ground, we will give an account for that. What is the best way to bring about change? Well, in America, we have a bunch of different systems by which we allow people to come to power. We refer to that as politics. Now, you know that historically we have not talked about politics. I'm going to engage with it right now. So if you are interested in taking any type of notes, you might want to get those ready. I recently uh, heard uh, this TED talk from Gary Haugen, the head of IJM, International Justice Mission. I think I mentioned it to you. And he said, please don't ever tell me you're interested in helping poverty in this world if you're not willing to stop the bad guys from ripping their stuff off. Because if we're giving the poor people some help and the bad guys come in and take it away, all we're doing is funding the bad guys. So if we're not willing to step in, we're not taking it seriously. I took that to heart and I've been thinking about it a lot. Well, we need to talk about our political system and I need to be very clear because we're in a very heavy political season. Every year, it's always the same. Whatever political season is going on, whether it's every four years with the presidential race or it's more local politics, we always have some of you come to us and say, can we support this at church? And we almost always say no. There's only been a few exceptions. Why? It's very purposeful. So let me tell you what our historic stance has been, and it's not going to change anytime soon, not as long as I'm at the helm, right? So here's what I believe. Number one, Bridgeway is designed to influence politics. You go, I thought you just said we don't get into politics. No, no, no. It's not designed to do it like you want it done. It's designed how to do it like we want it done. What does that mean? It means that we are going to take the perspective of both Jesus Christ and Paul the Apostle. They could have taken time specifically to address slavery, they did not. They began to preach in a way that uprooted slavery and got it completely out of the system. I'm not interested in cutting off branches. I'm interested in uprooting trees. Therefore, we are always designed out that we are going to shape your worldview and then mobilize the entire church that all believers are to be involved in politics outside of this and doing what we can do. But I'm going to be here to shape from God's word how we ought to make decisions so you can go make decisions and I'm not telling you how to do it. Does that make any sense? I need you to be critically thinking and doing what God lays on your heart. It's not my job to use this for my own purpose. The number two is this. This pulpit is not for political play. 
This pulpit is God's territory. This pulpit right here is only for God's agenda. It's not for man's agenda. It's not for my agenda. It's not for your agenda. It is not for political play. And you go, what do you mean by that? I mean, currently, our political system is not as much about true change as it is about leveraging power over another. It's going back and forth, and I want no part of it here. This is not what this is for. That is for us individually and collectively outside of this place to go wage war with, but not on this pulpit. Number three, we believe in world transformation, not temporary benefits. World transformation, not temporary benefits. Do you realize that it's possible to win a battle and lose the war? The church has done that over and over and over. Oh, we got that bill stopped. And meanwhile, the church is no longer seen as loving at all. We lost the very purpose of why we're supposed to be here. Let us be wiser than that. Number four, we refuse to divide over non-essentials. If it does not have to do with Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Father, God's nature and works, we are not splitting over it. And the political system currently is very divisive. We have enough problems in the church trying to be unified. We certainly don't need more, all right? So what we are not going to do is split over it. What we are going to do is debate and talk and have fun and wrestle with it and try to find the truth. There's nothing wrong with talking about politics with respect and grace and love and strength. There's nothing wrong with that. We just need to make sure that we're not allowing the enemy to divide us over it. If we divide over a political aisle, we lose. That's not right. And then finally, number five, please respect the atmosphere of the church. And here's what I mean. Public communication is a very tricky animal. I've been doing it my entire life. And this is what you need to be aware of. You're going to say, man, it would be sure nice if Pastor Lance would talk about this issue. But what part of the issue do you want me to talk about? Because every issue is very complicated, yes? If I began to address one part of the issue, what about everyone else that's sitting next to you? Do you realize that not only are we different ethnicity, not only are we different in age group, not only are we different in socioeconomic, not only are we different in all these ways, even politically, sitting next to you are people that believe the polar opposite of you. Yet we're a body, and that's okay. But you would say, but these issues, they're very clear in the word. They're very clear to the Lord. Are you sure that they're clear to people? Because what I have is a relative 45 minutes, right? I got a relative 45 minutes to open up Pandora's box, bring out all the issues and get it shut. That's not going to happen. There are issues that are not capable to be discussed in a broad environment in 45 minutes. It's not appropriate. I will cause more problems than solutions. Not only that, do we have a thousand people here, but what about the thousand online? What about the people that are listening to the podcast? What about the radio program? Do you understand everything we're engaging with as a body is going out into the world? And they're supposed to know what God's word says in 45 minutes on a very complicated issue. No. Let me give you an example. You would say, I believe, Pastor, that I believe that God talks about the sanctity of human life. How come you never address abortion? Well, let me, let me tell you this. Do you want to talk about 
the injustice of abortion or do you want to talk about the people healing from abortion? Do you want to talk about the people that should have been aborted and they're still wondering through what's going on there? What do you want to talk about? Because whatever I'm going to talk about, there's someone hurting right next to you. And I'm not talking about that. And they can't even listen to a word I'm saying because it has stirred up so many emotions and hurt in their lives. So it's not quite as simple as we make it out to be. It's not that I'm afraid of talking about the truth. I think we're all pretty clear on that. It's not that in any way I'm caving to pressures. It's that I just want to be accurate and I just want to bring blessing. Let's keep moving forward. I am not here to share my personal political beliefs. Once again, that's not appropriate. However, there are things that we as Christians must do to influence the politics of our world. And I would like to give you nine of those right now. So if you want to take notes, go ahead and write these down. Number one, Christians must influence society. We must influence society. This means using the proper means and channels available to us to shape how our nation operates. That is using our right to vote. That is using our voices. That is supporting bills. That is supporting political figures. Whatever it is, our job is to be out there, salt and light, changing the world. Whatever we learn in here, we are to take out there and put it into play. So yes, we are supposed to be involved. Number two, we need to stand up for what is right. We cannot cave to the world. We must stand up for what is right. I just need you to make sure it really is right. Because a lot of us have pet projects that I don't think God signed off on. But we're ready to get all hardcore about it. Let's stand up for what is right. Number three, we must express God clearly. You are a Christian. You do not get to do your own personal agenda or personal kingdom building. We must only represent God and represent him clearly. When you get done talking about whatever political issue it is, has God been clearly expressed? Well, whatever I want to talk about. Has God been clearly expressed because you are an ambassador for his kingdom? Number four, we must support good and godly people. Good and godly people in office. And you know what? You don't quite know who they are. Here's why. I was walking recently, one of my buddies works down at the Capitol, and he walked me around all the Sacramento Capitol hallways and began to tell me everything that happens behind the scenes. And he began to express to me how the church gets it wrong. Because the church will come in mass and they'll support a candidate who said they're a believer, and then he watches that person act completely antithesis to Christ and worse than all the non-believers. Do you realize that religion is a political power play? Okay, how do we know that? Well, historically, it has been almost impossible to be the president of the United States without saying you're a Christian. Why? Because people won't vote for you. So what are you going to say if you want to be president? You're a Christian. Of course you're going to say that. Oh, good, he's a Christian. Is there fruit? Is this person's character high? Are they about God's agenda? These are very important questions. And you don't just get to look at a ticket. You don't just get to see a focus on the family pamphlet and be able to know whether someone's a Christian or not. We need to look through their lives and figure out, are they good and godly people? Because we need good and godly people in our political offices. Amen? Amen. Good. Four people agree. Number five, 
As believers, we must be more about issues than divisive groups. This is my wisdom to you as your pastor. We must be more about issues than about divisive groups. Why? Because if we agree with a big group, we end up having to agree with everything they stand for. And they have a very complicated ticket. If, for example, you go, well, I agree with a lot of it. When you put that out, you're saying yes to all of it. And everyone on the other side believes that you're agreeing with all of it. That's what makes our political system very complicated. If you say you're Republican, then people assume you believe everything Republicans believe. If you say you're Democratic, everything you believe. We need to be very careful with large groupings like that, and we need to be more about issues. What does God want and what is best for his people? Let's look at the next one, number six. Please stop using God's name to manipulate a scenario. What do I mean? Well, Jesus is a Republican. What? What are you talking about? Well, John the Apostle would never vote like that. Okay, stop saying dumb things like that. All right? Stop putting the Lord in there. Well, God's totally into a flat tax, man. That's how tithe was in the Old Testament. Okay, what? He's not even talking about our tax system. So don't just put God's name into it and suddenly it's godly. No, if you want to talk about something that is just flat out economic, just talk about economics and say, I think this is smarter and this is less smart, right? I think this is a good idea or this is a bad idea. Don't manipulate the situation with your Christian brothers and sisters. Number seven, please use wisdom at all times. We are easily led astray. We as a people group have been trained to be led from the front. And so we tend to listen to radio hosts. We tend to listen to the internet. We tend to listen to all these groups that stir us up and we get really riled and panicky. Please use wisdom to look through that because they are not designed for health. They're designed for ratings. They're designed for money. They are not designed to teach you. All right? Number eight. Please pray for our nation and our leaders. It is the number one tool we have for change, and it's the number one least utilized tool. Have you ever heard the phrase, if you don't vote, you're not allowed to complain? Have you ever heard that phrase? All right, we're going to use it in the church with this one. If you don't pray, don't whine. It is absolutely a mandate in Scripture. It's not like, hey, have you ever thought about... No, no, no. You're commanded to pray for your nation and your leaders. And if we are not praying, we are not doing our job. It's far more powerful than a vote. So we cannot whine about how things are if we are not praying the shaping of our nation. Right? All right? Finally, the last one. Please remain firmly committed to a biblical worldview. There's a lot of pressure in our world today to shift off of that. Well, you know what? This is more popular. You know what? This is better for my pocketbook. You know what? This is better for this. We cannot do that. We must remain fixed to a biblical worldview. Is this too much for you? Or does this sound good? Absolutely. Then let me give you four things very quickly on what we should not do. And I'll just hit them briefly. I've already talked about the first one. Number one, please don't fuse Jesus with political parties or platforms. Jesus is neither Republican nor Democrat, all right? And as much as we want to say he's independent, that's a group too, so we can't say that one either. 
All right, number two, please do not be nasty in our demonstration of love. Okay? If we're out there trying to be Jesus, let's be Jesus. Number three, please do not be manipulated by the systems at play. Please see through them. And then number four, please do not grossly simplify or stereotype complicated issues. All right? For example, do not walk out there and go, well, I know how to fix immigration. Just do this. There is not one solution to a challenge with immigration. Don't say, well, I know how to solve homelessness. It's this. You don't know what you're talking about. Please do not say, I know how to solve our nation. It's that there's very, very complicated issues. So walk in humbly and walk in with a learning attitude. Amen? Amen. All right. You're all pretty quiet out there. Am I stepping on too many toes? All right. All right. Let's go on to verse four. Let's go to something else that I can mess with you about. Here we go. Verse four. He said, then, new subject. I saw that all toil, all hard work and effort, and all skill in work, a striving to do better work, come from a man's envy of his neighbor. This is also vanity and a striving after the wind. What does that mean? It means, why are you good at your job? Are you good at your job because you really want to be excellent for the Lord, or are you good at your job so you're better than the dude next to you so you don't get fired? Why did you get your last certification? You understand what I mean? Why did you get your last certification? Was it because you wanted to get into that next bracket to be able to make a certain amount of money? Or did you do it because if you know that certification, you can advance the company? Why are we advancing at all? Why are you doing what you're doing? Because if it's merely to keep up with the Joneses or merely to pass the Joneses, it's wrong. That's not the reason. There are great reasons to work hard. The Christian ethic is to work hard for the right reasons. What are right reasons? Well, let me give you an idea. Producing wonderful and useful products, bringing beauty to the world, blessing other people, providing for your family, contentment in your spirit, carrying out the will of God, using the talents he's given you. These are all beautiful reasons to work hard. The wrong ones are, it's all about me and make sure that I'm better than you. That's not good. So then he says this. He gives you two examples of errors. Verse 5. The fool, on one hand, folds his hands and refuses to work and then eats his own flesh. He's apathetic, steps out of the workforce, and it eats him alive. Verse 6. Better is a handful of quietness, meaning some gain with contentment, than two hands full of toil, of overworking, killing yourself with success, and a striving after the wind. All right, here's the two extremes he said. Workaholism and apathy. That is not the Christian ideal. Workaholism is not good for a variety of reasons. You all know what a workaholic is? Someone that just doesn't stop. It's more, more, more. They're always at the office. There is no other life. It is their life. All right? There's a problem with that. One, it tends to be driven by greed. Or two, it tends to try to shape their identity. You are not your work. You are far more than that. Life is not for work. You work so that you may have a life. Please don't reverse those. And if you're a workaholic, all that hard work, you'll never even have any time to enjoy it. And that's not what it's for. But on the other hand, you have apathy. Apathy is where you just go, nope, I'm not working at all. Forget it. I'm opting out. That will kill you. 
What do I mean? Why well, I, I there's a gentleman that's homeless in my neighborhood, and so I struck up a friendship with him, and I kept seeing him around. And I finally got to this, and I said, "Dude, what is your story? What what do you what in the world are you doing? You're just as I mean, he he's younger than me." It's just as tall as me, looks a lot like me, and I'm going, man, you look like you have an uh, amazing ability to do stuff. What's going on? And he said, I don't want to work. And I was like, why? And he goes, why should I be unhappy like everyone I see? Why should I be like all of you? You're all miserable. I'm, be- I'm good with less. I don't want more. I don't want to get involved in that process. I don't want to be sad and stressed out. So, no, I don't want a lot, I don't need a lot, and I'm not going to live on a lot. All right, now, there's some wise things in what he said, right? And yes, he can look at all of us that are out there being workaholics and going, that looks miserable. And it is. He's right. But he took it too far. He took it to apathy. He stepped out of the mix, and that is not what Christ asked us to do. But lest we paint everyone with that brush, let me just speak for a moment on homelessness. Homelessness is a very, very complicated issue. And so I went and asked Tammy Vallejo from E49, who works in the downtown area with all the corporate groups and all the nonprofits and all the churches to talk about homelessness. And I said, Tammy, what do we need to know? She gave some interesting information. She said, you can split out homelessness into a bunch of different groups, but here's something that would make sense to the church. There's two main groups of homeless. One is chronic meaning you're always homeless and you need a whole system change to get out. And then there's situational or temporary homelessness. She said the church is not equipped to handle chronic homelessness. You simply don't have enough access to the world. It's all the systems in the city working together to fix it. She said, but where the church can step forward is in situational, temporary. She said, but you don't need to reinvent the wheel. You need to partner up with the people that know how to differentiate what needs what, who's playing the system, and who really needs help. So we as a church need to always be wise in how we handle a very complicated situation. Yes? All right, good. One person agrees. Let's go to verse 7. He said again, a new subject. I saw vanity under the sun in this godless world one person who has no other either son or brother he has no family no heir no one yet there's no end to his toil he's still a workaholic and his eyes are never satisfied with the riches due to greed and he never even asks the most important question for whom am i toiling and depriving myself of pleasure this also is vanity and an unhappy business you simply and i simply cannot just make money for ourselves We must make money and share. It's the only way we can be healthy. We cannot merely be about getting more toys that break. We must be more about putting it out there and being able to lay at night in bed and go, if it wasn't for God working through me, those people wouldn't even be blessed. I want to make sure other people are blessed. How do I give and give and give into the right smart areas? so that God's kingdom is advanced. This is how we ought to live, not just for ourselves. Pick it up in verse 9. Famous, famous verse. Yep, there we go. That's right. That's, 
That's Mike's favorite one. Two companions are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has no other to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Now, I was talking with Mike earlier, and Mike was saying, I would never be sober today if it was not for this premise. I would never have gone through recovery if it was not for this premise. That if I did not have someone standing with me, if I did not have accountability, if I did not have support systems, you can never do certain things in life alone. What we need to understand is that we need each other desperately. And I've said this over and over and over, so I don't want to take too much time, but I do want to highlight one issue. I get a little frustrated when this verse is used in weddings. Because what it does is it makes everyone think that marriage is the solution. But are we all tracking that that's not what the context said? Why? Because it ends with a threefold cord is not quickly broken. I don't know if your marriage has threefold in it, but it's probably not God's will. Right? Okay. All right. What's he talking about? He's talking about community. You see, marriage is only one solution to one part of a community need. If you are single, you are not less than. Jesus did it, Paul did it, and they got along just fine. It is a solution. If it's right for you, it's right for you. If it's not right for you, it's not right for you. We don't have to stress about it. It's easier in a church subculture to be married. And that's why there's a lot of stress on the singles. But it's not more godly. We just need to understand that what we truly need is deep friendships. What we truly need is companionship. What we truly need is partnership. Some of us have struggled in our marriages to have that at all. But God wants all of us to have those things because that's how we're healthy. Let's finish this out. It closes with a story. He said, better was a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knew how to take advice. For he, the youth, went from prison to the throne, a true rags and riches story, though in his own kingdom he had been born poor. And then I saw all the living who move about under the sun, all the people of this world, along with that youth who was to stand in the king's place as the rightful successor. There was no end of all the people, all of whom he led. He was so popular and everyone loved him. Yet those who come later will not rejoice in him because he's been forgotten already. Surely this is also vanity and a striving after the wind. If our point in life is to get more people to pay attention to us, it is folly because we too will be forgotten. We have to be building something outside of ourselves that God is setting up. All right, how do we close this out? We've said a lot. This is probably one of those messages you'll have to listen to three, four times to be able to pull out what we were talking about. But let me just summarize it in four simple points. Number one, we must leverage our place and resources to protect other people. Are we doing that? Are you leveraging your resources and your place in society to help people who can't? Now, let me drop this bomb on you real quick. And many of you are wise enough to already know this. By your socioeconomic 
by your place in society, you are the power players. The responsibility is greater on you than other people in our society for change because you have the possibility to make change. So it's not equal across the board. We need to stand up. Number two, we must work hard for the Lord and for the right reasons. Amen? Number three, we must develop relationships that matter. Amen? Number four, we must live content with the Lord's plan for our lives. Amen? Amen. We have opportunities. We have opportunities to shape our world. All the Bible's doing is saying, can you please just use what God gave you? He's not telling you that you lack and you need to run out and get more. He's saying, I've already overly blessed you. Just be wise. Just be loving. Just be protective. Just be encouraging unity. Just be salt and light. Because remember, the Bible says, you will be my witnesses. You will be salt and light. Not you have to struggle to be my witnesses. Not you have to struggle to be salt and light. You just are. Please be who God made you to be. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. And Father, even as the prayer team comes, I ask that you would anoint their hands and anoint their lips. That everyone they pray over, Father, might have a connection with you in a special way. That, Lord, whatever needs that you want us to have fulfilled, whatever things you say are done or things that need to begin, would you bring us to the altar to pray? Father, I ask that right now that we might be able to see what you're doing and join you in that. That we might be outside of our agenda and all about yours. That your priorities may rise up in our list and that you might be glorified. For Father, it is all about you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Have a wonderful day.